Good evening, everyone. Give everyone a minute to come in. I want this to be some good Q&A tonight. So let's get some good questions. Any question's a good question. All right, people are coming in. Good evening, everyone. I'm glad you can join us this evening. Um, giddy up, let's go. All right, I'm gonna do the same thing to myself that I do to all of our wonderful guests. I ask them, what is on your mind right now? So Rick, what's on your mind? All right, a lot of things. Uh, we have to keep Ukraine on our minds. Uh, we have to continue to pray for those folks. Um, President Putin is just gonna slow death that, that country into oblivion. Uh, so we have to continue to think about them. And I, I, wanna, I wanna touch on something else here this evening. I really don't know why I thought about this. I just kind of thought about this uh, about 20 minutes ago. Um, we have to understand that it's okay to, to talk about whatever problems you may be having. It, it's okay. There's somebody there to listen. This has been an extremely trying year for so many people. I've got a lot of friends west of here, Kansas, Western Nebraska, Colorado. I mean, these folks are burning up. And, and, and when I talk to them, they always are upbeat and, and they, they seem positive. And I don't know how you could, but if there's anything that's on your mind, please find somebody. I mean, you, everyone knows how to get a hold of me. Call me sometime. It's, it's never too late to have a discussion about anything that's going wrong. Please do not let down days uh, make you think of, of, of things that aren't good. So that's kind of what I was thinking about. So there's just so much uh, turmoil in the world right now. There's so much turmoil in the farming industry. We don't know if we're going to get inputs. Of course, we don't use inputs anymore, but I still understand that a lot of people do, and that's okay. Uh, so please just try to try to hang in there and keep it all together. All right. Does anybody want to start off with a question? I got the uh, chat box opened up here. Anybody? Hey, Bryce, how you doing? Uh, Lud Myla, how are you doing? Everybody, everybody hanging in there today. Um, I'll tell you what I'm going to go down first then, since uh, everyone's a little hesitant to ask a question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with what I did a couple weeks ago. I had the honor, um, how, uh, what, what do you got there? Oh, how does the non-print beans look uh, from Bryce? I think they look pretty good, Bryce. I looked at them today. Um, we've, got, we've got a lot of, of issues um we've got a lot of issues with weeds and grass this year and i and 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 uh, let me let me come back to this in just a minute i want to go to dc first that's where i was started um i was absolutely honored to be asked to give a testimony in front of the house ag committee about 50 50 folks, 50, uh, 50 politicians, roughly 25, uh, or that's probably about 28 
Democrats and maybe 22 Republicans. So, because the Democrats have the power of the House. Um, I was absolutely honored to be there and give, and, and folks, I'm telling you, five minutes is not enough time to give an oral testimony. Now, we were, we were able to give a written testimony. It was about 15 pages long. So we covered everything we wanted to cover with the written testimony. But that oral testimony is five minutes, and then, and then each Congress person gets five minutes for Q&A. And most of the congressmen and women who, who, who spoke took their first minute or two of their five to go through what their agenda is and to tell us what they thought about regenerative farming. And I guess I was disappointed in the fact that there was no, or I shouldn't say no, but there was limited bipartisanship. I was very disappointed. Most all, if not all of the Democrats were for regenerative farming and soil health practices. They, they all were for it. Most of the Republicans were not for it. I mean, they were not necessarily not for it, but they tried to find ways to put holes in the concept and they, they brought up Sri Lanka and how Sri Lanka tried to shut off the whole country and go organic and that miserably failed. Well, you pretty much expect that to fail. I mean, we all know you can't just flip the switch today and flip tomorrow. It takes time to build your soil, implement the six principles of soil health. It takes time to get all of the balance to come back then you can start to take inputs away. Then maybe you can get to where you could take them all away. You can't just do this, wake up tomorrow and say, you know what? I'm gonna shut it all down and we're gonna just stop all inputs. That, it doesn't work like that. So I got to say what I wanted to say and I felt like I said it the way I wanted to say it, but I was disappointed in the fact of the lack of bipartisanship and I was disappointed in the fact that they're trying to couple organic with regenerative. Now, just because you're organic doesn't mean you're regenerative. And just because you're gonna be regenerative means you're gonna be organic. So I wish they wouldn't couple those two together and let's just look at it as building soil health, being regenerative, and if you wanted to take it another step further, then you could think about going organic, maybe six, seven, eight years down the road of being into this regenerative type farming. So that was kind of everything from DC in a nutshell. I was honored to be there. Um, I hope I represented the regenerative community well. I hope I did. I felt like I did okay. Um, so thank you for all the support that I got from everyone and, and it was a great time and I'd, I'd do it again if I, if I needed to. So thank you. Okay. Bryce, um, how does the non-crimped beans look? Okay. Let's go back. Let's go back to the beginning of this growing season, which then, as you know, the next growing season starts right now in the fall when you're planting your cover crop. So let's go to there. 
So it's the fall of 21. We have been building on, on all these years coming up till now, we've been increasing cereal rye. Increase, increase, increase. So we started at 40 pounds. We went to 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. And last year, we got to the highest amount of rye we've ever put on with the drill, 150 pounds. I'm thinking we are golden. We're gonna go through the winter. We're gonna come out the other side in the spring. We're gonna have 12,000 pounds of biomass and we're gonna suppress weeds. Okay, didn't work that way. Remember, if mother nature can humble you, she will do it every single time. So we had a stretch of winter last year. If you think about it, our weather for about the last 36 months has just been pretty wacky. But last winter we got snow early and we got a lot of snow, like 12, 14 inches at a time, which that we haven't had that kind of storm in a long time. Okay, we're in good shape. There's cover, everything's protected. It gets cold, it's okay. Well, then we warm up and the snow melts and then we go into the deep freeze a canadian clipper comes down and we go 20 below man was that hard on the cereal rye so we came out next spring and i can tell already from way the way it's starting to grow we don't have it we lost over half of our cereal rye through winter kill. I've never had this happen before. So what we do have is starting to green up and trying to tiller. And then on April, I think it was 27th, maybe 26th or 27th, we had a frost and it smoked whatever rye we had left. So now going into planting season in late april early may we plant soybeans into hopefully um you know at that point you hope it's six or seven thousand pounds of biomass and then by the time you roll it maturity you're, you're up to 10 or 12. well we were less than two thousand pounds so we decided to change gears and we drilled with a seven and a half inch drill, the same drill we plant our cover crops with. It's actually an air seeder. I call it a drill. It's a John Deere N540C air seeder, and seven and a half inch spacing. And we decided to up the rate of soybeans and we planted beans in a seven and a half inch broadcast spacing. Okay because this is gonna be our line of defense now. We have no cover crop. So this is what now coming up to Bryce's question here, Bryce probably is totally aware of everything I described, but I wanted to say it again for anyone new or anyone listening out there that hadn't heard this story. So we've got no biomass, no rye. I mean, you can look out across the field, you see nothing hardly. So the rollers stay parked. We planted these beans with the air seeder, seven and a half inch, not all of them, but a lot of them. And then the weather went south on us again. The beans came up, they got to about V2, so they were about this tall. And then we went into seven weeks of no rain and 92 degrees plus. Now this may have been a good thing because the beans did not totally shut down and remember now, we were coming out of a very wet, late 
winter. We had that cold snap that smoked our rye, but then it warmed up and we got moisture. So our profile was totally full because we have a we have cover, we have arbor, we have all of this stuff protecting our soil. We have 20 inches of infiltration rate of rain, 20 inches an hour. We've got a million and a half earthworms per, per acre. We've got all these things now helping us and our profile was totally full. So our beans were still growing through this seven weeks of no rain and 92 degrees, but the weeds were not growing very quickly. So the plan was working so far. So we covered the ground, the, the beans got the canopy. We were actually holding everything pretty well. Then we came out of this seven weeks and I, and I say no rain, it was less than one inch of rain in seven weeks and 92 degrees plus every day. I mean, man, that puts a drain on your profile, your water reserves are gone by now, and now your mental, your mental fortitude is really starting to get taxed here. So you, you really have got to hang in there. The late rains came. So our beans actually kind of laid, you know, how they kind of go dormant and just kind of hang out and they wait for a little better weather where corn, if corn goes through that type of a weather uh, experience, it's not, it does not like that. And it's taken yield off every single day, just boom, 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 boom. You know, a bushel here, two bushel there after across seven weeks that adds up. So our beans hung in there, weeds were okay. Then we started getting late rains and boom, here come the weeds. So Bryce, to answer your, I know this has been a long-winded answer. I think our beans look really good when you put it in context. And when you look at what we've been through, I feel very good about the beans that were not rolled. So thanks for the question. I don't wanna do this again because the foxtail, oh my gosh, the foxtail is unbelievable how thick it is. So we honestly could use a frost here to help kill some of these weeds and kill some of the, uh, the foxtail so that our combines can go through a little easier. And this morning, it was like 35 degrees and we had a light frost. So that'll be enough because we're getting almost into October. And by the way, today's, uh, September 29th, tomorrow's September 30th, obviously. And tomorrow is my oldest daughter, Jessica's birthday. Happy birthday, Jess. She's gonna be 30 years old tomorrow. Wow, I am getting old. I have a daughter that's 30 years old. Okay, enough about that. Let's see, Sarah, what do you have? Hi from Friday morning from Darling Downs, Old Australia. Oh, wow, how, how are we doing today? Keen to understand any pros and cons of adding a lower canopy multi-species with corn crop, not only designing for soil health and in crop nitrogen building perspective, but also for a fall armyworm management perspective. Okay, the last one having us adding in butterfly pea that has natural repellent effects on sucking and chewing pests. Any thoughts? Okay, this is the great questions. This is awesome. Now, I, I like the, let's start with your, at the beginning. 
the low canopy uh, multi-species. I, I guess we might want to call this maybe a perennial type system, if that's what you're thinking, or are you thinking just strictly annuals that you can easily manage? I like the whole idea. Um, I think, to see, here's what happens, folks. We have not started in the field yet. We're in West Central Indiana. I hope to start on Saturday. Well, Saturday's gonna be October 1st. We are almost, if not already, out of the window for any diversity. I mean, it's too late to plant radishes, probably. It's too late for uh, sorghum Sudan. And now, it, I shouldn't say it's too late, but if you think that any growth at all is good, a good thing, then by all means, plant it. But don't expect your sorghum Sudan planted on October 1st in the Midwest to get much more than six or seven inches tall. And maybe that's okay. That it, it just depends. If you have it in inventory, or if you've got a Bryce down the road who sells all these things, then get them in there. But see, we've got to get this by October 15th because past that, it is wasting your money. So we got two weeks. So when you think about these low-lying multi-species that, that they're referring to here, that's a good thing because now you're ahead of the game. That's why I like interceding cover crop into V5 corn or blowing it on with a, a Hagee at, at, you know, starting to turn brown, the leaves start to turn brown, or you go out on your beans and you blow your cover crop on as soon as the beans start turning, uh, start turning yellow and dropping their leaves. You know, those are things that speed this process up. And I like that. Um, so let, let's talk about fall armyworms. Now, I am a firm believer that the more healthy your system is, the less likely you will have an outbreak of a pest problem. So here's what I mean by that. Knock on wood, we have not had a spring armyworm invasion for three years. And I think it's because our bricks counts are 12 and higher. And we know that as your bricks levels move up and you get more sugar in your system, then when that pest eats that plant, there's a, I, I'm not a biologist, but I believe there's a very complex protein that they cannot digest and it kills that species. I think this fault would hold true for the same thing for the fall. If you can keep your, your crops healthy and in balance. So what I would almost suggest you probably do would be if you can get some sugar, I would put on a half a pound of sugar per acre and spray over your cash crop, your cover crop, whatever it is, and that shot of sugar will help raise your levels to deter that army worm from, from wiping your, your crop out. So we've tried that. I, I, like I said, we're, we're, we seem pretty healthy on our end. I just need to understand. And last week we had Nicole Masters on and she started to help me understand this, but 
we've got to understand how we get more balance so that we create environments that the foxtail does not want to germinate in. I'm not there yet, but we're getting closer. I mean, yes, we have some fields that have broadleaf explosions, but a lot of our fields don't have a lot of broadleaves in them. They we're, we're fighting the grass. Um, so now, and then I don't know what butterfly pea is, so I hope that works for you. But man, I'm, I'm honored that, that uh, the other side of the world, or actually the bottom side of the world, is tuning in tonight. So thank you very much. I hope I answered your question. And if you want to add some more to the, uh, the chat, go right ahead. Um, okay, Gregory's here from Northeast uh, Arkansas. How you doing, Gregory? Dusty, what source of organic end did you use with the sugar that terminated the corn you've talked about before? Um, we don't terminate corn uh, that, that terminated the corn that you've talked about before. What source of organic end did you use with sugar that terminated the corn you've talked about before? I think maybe what we were talking about there was... Um, I think we, we had a product called uh, Genesis, and I can't remember the exact name of it, but it's an Omri approved product. We added some sugar to it, and holy moly, did that heat up, and it burnt the alfalfa, and it burnt the corn. I think that maybe is what you're referring to, Dusty, but we didn't, that did not terminate the corn. It just, it just uh, browned it up a little bit because it, it wound up being the sugar with the nitrogen was too much for that corn to take. So I've, I'm really not quite sure what you're asking. So if you want to come back in the chat and, and, and give me just a little bit more clarity there, maybe I can help. Uh, Ed Bourgeois, how you doing this evening, Ed? Ed has the link to the house hearing YouTube. Uh, you, can, you can see it right there. Uh, Lude Myla, Keith Burns is about to test a dozen of winter hardy rye varieties from Ukraine. I hope at least one can lignify early enough to be roller crimped on time. That's, that's awesome. Lumila, did you, uh, did you get that started for Keith? Are you the one who got him in front of the right people to get to those varieties? That's awesome. Um, Sarah, again, any tips for planting into heavy green biomass with the John Deere Maximerge planter direct cue from one of my farmers, have them texting them into me. Yeah, okay. Um, what we have done, now again, I need more, I need a little more context. Um, have we done this before? Are we already working on building soil health? Because it all matters, is it, is it no-till uh, planting green? Is it corn or is it beans? Um, we no longer have a no-till coulter on our planter. We haven't had a coulter on there uh, since uh, early 2000s. Uh, we've taken the row cleaners off and we can set in and we plant right through, um, we've planted right through rye that's six feet tall. We've planted through uh, legumes that are three feet tall and you can, it'll just go right in but again, we've got soil health, we've got tilth, we've got aggregate stability, and all, we've got all of these things that are helping to get that planter in easier. But 
I'm going to say that if you're going to, and, and I don't care what system you're in, if you're going to no-till beans, you don't need anything. You don't need a coulter. You don't need a row cleaner. You just need at least 18-inch tall rye and go out there and drop your planter in and plant. And if you still want to use chemistry, that's fine. Wait three or four days, spray your chemistry, and then watch it all turn brown and that rye will melt in and your beans will grow right out of it. And now you just scout and see if you need to spot spray. So to answer your question, Sarah, I, I need a little bit more context, but I don't think you're gonna need much of anything to plant heavy into green, um, uh, green biomass. Now, let's go back to the row cleaners. The reason why we took our row cleaners off is because we are organic and we don't use any tillage. So I do not want to open up that canopy and let sunlight come in. And guess what happens then? Weeds start to grow. So if you're not organic and you're still using some chemistry, then my advice is to set the row cleaner to just open that just a little bit. Open that up and give your corn plant or your bean plant an avenue to get out to the sunlight and then terminate chemically if that's what you're doing. So again, let's go back to this. If you're going to plant green, you're still using chemistry, which I'm telling you guys, when we did this, when we planted green and we were still using 60% uh, or I'm sorry, we, we reduced 60%. We were using 40% of our input, so 40% fertility, 40% chemistry. And when you go out there and you plant corn into thigh-high uh, clover and vetch, and you set your row cleaners to just open that a little bit, and that corn then, and then and say you're planting a non-GMO corn, so terminate five days. If your corn's not gonna be out of the ground in five days, terminate up to then, and watch your corn come up, and as that vetch and clover turn brown and get crispy from that glyphosate, they just release a flood of nutrients, and that corn just takes off, and it turns so green, it's almost black. So that's how I would do farming green into heavy biomass if you're still using some fertility and some chemistry. I hope that answered your question. Uh, Bryce, kind of what we always see when you can't grow the biomass, chemistry saves us in that situation. Yeah, that, that's so true. And I'm telling you what, Bryce, I, what we're trying to do here is so hard it is so so hard trying to do this with no tillage no chemistry and and maintain your sanity is hard and like i just described a moment ago we were knocking it out of the park for uh return on investment when we reduced everything by 60 percent i mean we were we were increasing yield year after year after year on corn and beans. We were increasing. We dropped our inputs by 60%. We still had some chemistry there to, 
to save us if a field got away from us. So I'd love for everyone on this call to do what we're doing. I really would, but it's okay. You don't have to. I could use the company, but that's okay. You have to be comfortable in your own skin and you have to be comfortable in not losing the livelihood of your farm. So it's okay because building soil health, you can still use some chemistry and some tillage, just don't make it acute situations. So try and, and eliminate all that you can when you can. Okay, Sarah, to add, butterfly pea does climb, combo of those that grow during their growth season and also come when they're drying down. So some perennial medics that crack on into our autumn winter. Absolutely agree, uh, refall armyworm and plant health and that's our goal. Molasses is an option for sugar. Oh yeah, molasses will work too. I, I think that, uh, again, don't go crazy here. Um, I put on a half a pound of cane sugar. It was, I mean, you can order anything from Amazon. I call up Rachel and I say, Rachel, we need some sugar. It's got to be Omri approved and find it somewhere. So she calls me back 10 minutes later and says, Dad, how much you want? I'm, I'm on Amazon. How many skids you want? Well, I don't ship, ship one skid. So I think we got 2,000 pounds of, of cane sugar, uh, organically grown, Omri approved. There you go. So don't get crazy though and think that if one gallon of, gallon of molasses is good, five gallons has to be better. It doesn't work like that. You can go too far. So follow the guidelines and um, you know, I, I like your, your notions there. Uh, maybe fava beans with corn, they're going to grow and climb up that plant, up that corn plant. And I think that's one you could probably harvest together and, and probably separate those and get two crops. So yeah, great, great questions. Uh, okay, uh, Matt, way south central Indiana, any advice to stop or get rid of cockleburr besides the obvious of removing the plant prior to going to seed? Cockleburr gets thick here in late September at field edges and our soybeans. Hmm. Okay, Matt, are you using cereal rye? Because cockleburr is one weed that I just don't see anymore uh, with our cereal rye program. And we don't see much water hemp either. Now this year, our weed escapes are mare's tail and giant ragweed. Now those are two bad ones on their own, but I don't see water hemp and I don't see cockleburr. So maybe it's just the fact of getting your rye out there at a, at a heavier rate. I do, again, it, I, I need a little more information, but um, I, I don't know if a weed zapper, I think a weed zapper would, would work on a cockleburr. So I don't know if you have one or if you have a neighbor that has one, Maybe you could go along the uh, field edges and use the weed zapper and smoke them before they go to seed. Uh, and then of course you can mow, uh, but if they're in your field, that's gonna, that's gonna hurt your cash crop. But uh, along the field edges, you could probably mow them. But 
um, where we have stopped tillage and where we have a, a perennial uh, armor or cover, mulch, whatever you want to call it, we just don't have these problems. So again, let me know, are you, t are you tilling? Are you no-till? That'll help, help me just a little bit more. Dusty, when, when you was trying to feed the corn and smoked it, I'm looking for ways to kill weeds naturally. Okay. So, I don't know how we can kill weeds naturally other than suffocating them with the cash crop. So, let's go to the alfalfa. We like to no-till corn into alfalfa in the spring. Then we roll the alfalfa flat with the roller crimper. So we're doing this at about 50% bloom. And at that point, the alfalfa, the lignin is very high. And at that point, it, it'll roll down and it'll stay down. Now, if we can overcome all of the compaction that has occurred from the previous year or two of the dairy taking that alfalfa semis driving on every square inch and all that heavy equipment out there, if we can overcome the compaction, then we will plant the corn into that alfalfa and we need help from mother nature. We need one or two rain events after the corn is up and going. And then when you can get this to happen and you can get that corn. Now, remember, Dusty, also, we're on 20-inch row spacing corn. So it reaches canopy at about V6 or 7. And now we're starting to terminate all of that low-lying growth. So let's go back to the great question from down under in Australia, Darling Downs. She wants, to, or they want to use um, low-lying cover crops. Great idea. Then when your corn grows up and canopies, it takes the sunlight away. It'll crush those cover crops. They will start to fold, maybe even die. If nothing else, go dormant. Now they're going to release the nutrients they have to feed the corn. The corn grows. And then when you take the corn off or the leaves turn brown and start to shrink back, Sunlight comes back in, and depending on what species you planted, you may start to get all of this to regrow again. So now you've got a head start on the cover crop already there. So there's so many things I like about that notion, but we've got to remember though, corn does not like very much competition, if any. So I've tried this many times, planting corn no-till into a perennial low-lying legume package. It's, it, it's too much. The corn does not like it. So my advice again, again, I don't know where you are on this curve. I don't know if you're still using chemistry or not. But one, there's two things I could think of that would help. Strip-till, that would give you a six or seven inch, but it's not gonna hold forever because believe me, about three weeks after the corn's planted, it's gonna start filling in again. But you hope by then your corn is up above everything and it can take off. 
Number two is, again, if I was still doing chemistry, I would rig up a sprayer that only sprayed a 10-inch band or maybe an 8-inch band. And that's where you plant your corn. So you're going to spray a little band. So let's say you're on 30-inch row spacing and you got a 10-inch uh, a band. If my bass right, you got 20 inches of material that's still alive and growing in between your corn plants. So go out and drive the best you can or use guidance or whatever, spray, and then plant. Or I might, because I don't, I never terminated a cover crop until after we were done planting. Never. So go out there, plant your corn, come back two days before you think the corn's going to be out of the ground and spray this 10 inch band right over the row. And then as your corn's coming out, this stuff is melting down and dying and releasing nutrients and away we go. And now you've got that 20 inches in between to hold the weeds at bay. Now you may wind up with weeds in that 10 inch zone, but if you can get this to work out right, my guess is that that 10 inches, the, the 20 inches that's alive is going to start creeping back in on top of that and your corn's growing to shade on that row. I like that plan. Then come back with a wide drop and maybe put on 20 gallons of UAN. Call it good. Depending on how good of a legume package you have. All right, this is beautiful. Uh, Sarah, Corn, planting into multi-species, two feet tall, very early into soil health journey. Compaction at surface is an issue. Yep, there you go. So you've got to do things then, especially if you're planting corn. Corn does not like competition and corn does not like compaction. So maybe you do need a no-till coulter to go down two inches and then drop your seed maybe two and a quarter inches and be right below where that coulter ran just to help with that surface, uh, surface compaction. And then as you stay in this system and as you start building soil health, you will take that coulter off because we plant corn three inches deep with no coulters. All we have our double disc openers on the John Deere planter. That's it. And we plant three inches deep. So don't give up on it. Use those tools you need to get you to where you want to be and then take those tools away. Okay. Uh, Mitchell, how you doing, Mitchell? Hope, I hope harvest is going well. We aren't going to be able to get our diversity on this fall for our covers going to corn either. What do you think about frost seeding the legumes in early spring to add on to the cereal rye that we are able to still get seeded in the fall? Yes, yes, sir. Uh, my recommendation, Mitchell, I would do three things. I would start sourcing some cold tolerant peas. And I would go out yet this fall and I would plant, let's say, 20 pounds to the acre of a cold 
tolerant piece. So like a Wyoming, a, a grassland Oregon survivor, uh, an Austrian winter pea, something like that. And Mitchell, I would also recommend you plant these babies deep. I plant them three inches. I think two and a half to three is fine. You're probably gonna need your corn planter. You're probably gonna need to go hook onto that again. Go out and, and you know, I would do this. I would wait until at least the third or fourth week of October. That gives you plenty of time to source these peas. And I would put on 20 pounds, bury them deep, two and a half, three inches deep, right into, I don't care if you go with the row, you think you're gonna plant corn, angle, whatever. You're gonna do this right into the rye that's growing out there right now. Then next, or I'm sorry, then this winter, probably in March, I would go out and broadcast six pounds of clover and six pounds of hairy vetch mixed together. And that will be an awesome fuel for your corn next spring. Um, uh, just out of curiosity, Mitchell, what was the rate of rye that you planted this fall for your corn crop for next spring? Now, again, let me emphasize why Mitchell did this. Mitchell did this because he's out of options and cereal rye now is the best and really the only cover you can plant now this late in the growing season and expect it to be here next spring. <clears throat> so it's okay. I know people say you don't plant corn in front and in with rye. It's okay. You move your nitrogen program forward. Maybe you terminate the, the, the rye a little sooner, but I would not recommend that in this case because you want those legumes to really crank and do what they're intended to do, and that's fix free nitrogen. So in doing this, Mitchell, you're probably not gonna be planting corn until at least May 20th to May 25th. So just keep that in mind. Great question. Okay, Ludmila, I hope she's got an answer for my foxtail. Foxtail may indicate high sodium levels in soil. That's interesting. Growing regular barley can remove, okay, this is amazing. Ludmila, this is absolutely amazing how this happens. I'm going to explain this in just a minute. I'm going to finish reading your comment and I'm going to tell you what, what, what just happened. Foxtail may indicate high sodium levels in soil. Growing regular barley can remove some sodium and take the competitive advantage from the foxtail. Also, your post will help algae that will favor your crop over foxtail. Yes. Now, let me tell you why it's amazing how things happen for a reason. I had the absolute pleasure this early this week to spend, I spent two full days with Dave Brandt. Absolutely incredible. The godfather of regenerative farming. I got to spend two days with him. You're lucky if you get to spend two hours with him. But anyway, Dave said to me, he said, Rick, why don't you add barley to your cocktail to help combat the foxtail? Perfect. Ludmila, thank you. And I've got a semi load of, of barley coming. It'll be here first to next week. We're gonna add 20 to 25 pounds of barley to every mix that goes out. If we're gonna put out 
if my intention was to plant 100 pounds of cereal rye, we're going to plant 80 pounds of cereal rye and 20 pounds of barley. We'll mix the two together, put them in the air seeder, and we're still going to plant 100 pounds, but it's going to be 80 rye, 20 barley. I love the way people get together and share their ideas. So Ludmila, thank you. I appreciate it. Foxtail might be a sign of high calcium. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's also true, Bryce. Um, and I tell you what, it absolutely goes to the last thing Ludmila said. Biology to wake up the certain sectors that will, those microbes will favor your cash crops and create environments that foxtail does not like. That's the whole key right there. But I think the barley is also part of it. And if I know, I realize barley is a cereal just like rye is, but it is diversity. It's better than just putting out straight rye or straight wheat. We're gonna do the same thing. We're gonna put in eight or maybe 70 pounds of wheat and 20 pounds of barley. And we're gonna and we're gonna get this across as many acres as we can. I think we've got uh, 880 pounds. So let me do the, I apologize here, looking away from the screen, 880 divided by 20. Uh, well, we got 22 totes at, at uh, 2,000 pounds. 44,000 pounds divided by 20. See, we could cover about 2,200 acres doing that. And, and that's, that's awesome. I'm, I'm okay with that. So we can get a lot of, of extra diversity now, even though we're heading into October. Uh, Sarah, understand RE amount and become moron with sugar. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly correct. Uh, Bryce, we have high calcium soil here in Northwest Kansas and we grow foxtail great also. I wish there was a market for it. And you know what I'm going to do sometime, Bryce? And I say this and I, and, I, and I forget to follow through. Maybe you can do this for me. We need to take some of this foxtail seed, send it to the lab and find out what the nutrient density value of that foxtail is. I'm going to just about guarantee that it's going to be off the charts in nutrient density, just like Palmer amaranth seed would be, giant ragweed, lamb's quarter. I mean, all of these weeds are pulling massive amounts of nutrients up from deep within the profile or however far down their root system goes. So you can bet that they've got high nutrient density. So maybe there's a market someday for this stuff. We'll have to see. Nate, I'm farming organically and I've been trying to do no-till beans and crimp rye for a few years. The problem I have is after the first year, the field fills in with perennial grass. Is there any options other than tillage at this point? Uh, probably not, Nate. And I, I am not a proponent of tillage, but sometimes you have to do what you have to do we had a field that had an outbreak of Canada thistle. In Indiana, that is a noxious weed. It, it may be a noxious weed in, in any state, I'm not sure. But in Indiana, it is a noxious weed. I cannot 
I, I am not being a good steward to the land if that goes to seed. Plus my neighbors have every right to turn me in. So we had to get some tillage out and we took care of the, the Canada thistle. So yes, sometimes we have to do these things, but be aware that tillage is going to create more weeds to come. So sometimes um, what I would like to do is if you've got time, is maybe lightly till that right now. And then any weed seed that you get to germinate now is going to die in 30 or 45 days, depending on where you are. And you can get rid of that flush. And immediately after you do that tillage, plant your cover crop and get cover on the ground and get it established. Again, this is risky in the fall because if you till this soil up and then you get a, I mean, I don't know where you're located at, Nate. I, I hope you're not in North Carolina that's about ready to get 20 inches of rain because if that's the case, then you're, the, the erosion is gonna be outrageous and Rick just gave you terrible advice. So we've gotta be careful where we are located and how much time do you have left. But my only point here is, if you were to go out now and, and, and till that field and you get a flush of weeds, that would be a good thing because they're going to terminate as soon as it frosts. So sometimes, Nate, you have to till. I mean, you cannot have uh, zero crops. You have to raise cash crops to pay the bills. Uh, Matt, yes, on, on, on CR, as well as a mix of clovers, winter peas, and vetch, we are on second year of no-till planting green. A lot of the biomass is gone by September when the cocklebird gets past soybean canopy. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, I, I, I just, I don't know, Matt, because I don't have problems with cocklebird. So that's gonna be a Ludmila question, a Nicole Masters question. There's something in your profile that is, is a great environment for Cocklebur. I don't know what that is. Uh, Klaus Martins could tell us if he was on here tonight. I, I am not qualified to make that answer, but my guess is there's something out of balance that's creating the environment for that cucklebird to thrive in. Um, so I, I can't, I, I'm not gonna go any further there because I can't, I don't have any good, I'm not gonna just say something to say something. Uh, Bryce, you are correct, Rick, plant peas deep. Yeah, plant those things deep. Uh, Ludmila, uh, alternatively, bio-strip till between the rye, planting rows of fava beans with radishes and flax, all of which will get winter kill, leaving the black fava bean residue that in spring will warm up as fast as the bare soil. Now that is a great idea. I never thought about that because that residue is black. It's gonna pull the sunlight in and it's gonna wet. Ludmila, that is a great idea. And I also love that you threw flax in there uh, the two things that I don't think we use enough of are flax and um, buckwheat. 
These two need to be more and more used, but they're also very susceptible to cold weather. So we need to do these things after you harvest a cereal grain and then do not double crop a crop behind that cereal grain. And then get flax in with that legume package uh, and get buckwheat. Two beautiful things. And I love the fava bean idea. So what, what I think what Lou Myla here is also trying to tell us is let's say, and, and this would probably be an extra pass across the field, but let's say you take your seven and a half inch spacing air seeder out and you plant your cover crop. Then you come back with your corn planter and you plant on whatever your spacing is, 30 inch rows, you plant the radish, the fava beans, and the flax. And then you're gonna come in next spring and put your corn right on top of that row. Now, if you have the ability to shut off certain rows on your drill, then do that and leave that 30 inch spacing out there and plant this that she's talking about. But remember, this has got to be going in if you're gonna get any bang for your buck, middle to middle August to first of September. The only way you're gonna pull this off is to be following a cereal grain. Great idea, Lou Mila, thank you. Mitchell, uh, rye isn't planted yet, planting on 30 pounds uh, for our stuff going to corn. Great idea, 30, 40, 50 pounds, somewhere through there. Um, the issue is we have ultra full season relay crop soybeans, so big organic end credit from those, but no window for legume seeding this fall. I really like the spring clover vetch idea. Okay, Mitchell. It, I, I'm gonna ask a question that you probably don't have the machinery for today, but think about this in the future. Have your beans, uh, are they touching each other? I, I think you do, I think you do two rows of rye and then you leave out two and you do two rows of rye. I think that's your pattern. And then, or no, I think, no, you're solid, aren't you? You, you plant your rye solid in the fall and then you'll come in and, and drill beans right into that rye. So you're, you're a solid uh, canopy. And then you took the, the wheat or the rye off over the top of those soybeans. I think that's what you do. Um, so if that's what you do, here, give me an answer there, Mitchell. Is that what you do if you're still there? I wanna wait for Mitchell to come back if he's right there. Uh, but let's go, let's go to the way Lauren Steinloggy does it. Lauren will plant, and I think Lauren's pattern is he say, he'll block off two rows on his drill, plant two rows, block off two, plant two, block off two, so on across the drill. Then he drills his field in the fall with cereal rye. Then he comes in the spring and he plants beans in between those two, the two rows he left gaps last fall. Then he comes in in, I don't know, July, and he puts blockers on his sickle bar, and he then takes the rye off. Okay, this is where I'm going now with, with Mitchell. And this may affect the soybean harvest a little bit, I'm not sure. But guys, what do you think about now 
let's, let's call this relay times two. How about relaying your legume package where you took the rye off? And then let your beans go to canopy. That, that, that legume is going to come up and grow, maybe get four or five inches tall. And let's say your beans touch, they do their thing, that clover goes into dormancy, the beans now start, they mature, drop their leaves, sunlight comes in, here comes the clover again. Now you've got a 45 to 60 day head start on when that legume is put out there. I don't know if it's going to affect, but maybe you go back with blockers and put blockers on where the clover is and, and push that down and harvest your soybeans. This might work. I, I don't know. I just thought of this. So think about that. Um, Lauren, I don't know if you're on tonight. See, what do you think about that? Mitchell, what do you think? But again, I think Mitchell does, um, yeah, Mitchell's the full, what I would call not broadcast, but but full spectrum across the, the profile. So they're drilling the rye all the way across the field, everywhere except there is no blocker rows. Then they're coming in the spring, drilling their beans into the rye. The rye grows up, the beans are growing with it, but the rye outgrows the, wheat, uh, the beans. They cut the, the rye off with their grain table. Their, their combine tires are running over bean plants, but a lot of those are gonna stand back up. And I think Mitchell's done the math. He, he loves math, but I think he's done the math. I think you're losing less than, I think he told me less than one bushel to the acre of where you drive over these beans with the combine. So it's well worth it to get that, that cereal rye. Now you either now you save it for yourself and start saving money on seed or B you, you can sell it to the open market if the germ's good enough, or you can sell it to a, a livestock feeder and they'll add it to the ration. So it's just a beautiful opportunity to get another crop. So Mitchell, in your case, I've done this many times. Um, I have waited until the, you, the winter looks like you're at that point. Now, uh, let me, I'm sorry, I'm jumping around here. Let's talk about the frost seeding, the clover and the vetch is what I'm talking about right now. So what we try to do here, Mitchell, and you can do the same thing. You're just basically straight west of me. You're a little bit south of me, not much. We look at the weather and we try to find those last days when it's frozen in the morning, but thawed out by noon. So you go out there with your spreader and you spread until you can't spread anymore. And however many days it takes you to do this, because what I like about this is now the ground is opening and closing and it's gonna pull that seed in as it thaws and rethaw and freezes and thaws again. It's pulling that seed in and you get a much quicker growth response and it takes off. So I love the notion though. I, I love that, that, that spring seeding. But now remember Mitchell and everybody else, when you are comparing frost, uh, I'm sorry, when you are comparing fall planted legumes to fall uh, to winter or frost seeded legumes, you're not going to have near the nitrogen load in the frost seeded legumes. Because when you frost seed them, they are going to put on more above ground vegetative growth and less root growth. 
compared to the legumes you planted in the fall. They're going to put on a much greater root mass that has way more nodules that are fixing way more nitrogen than what the frost seed was. So just keep that in mind. I would say probably going to cut your nitrogen by a third, the potential. So I'm looking across at my power of fixation clover chart and on June the 8th, we had 262 pounds of N. So Mitchell, 262 times uh, say 0.67. You, you're, I'm sorry, but you can only count on 175 pounds of N. Sorry about that, but that's all you're gonna be able to probably count on. And I'm being facetious, that is more than enough. More than enough, okay. Let's see what I, I, I went past something here. Uh, yeah, Mitchell again, driving the combine uh, for slow response. Oh, okay, yeah, Mitchell's in the combine. All accurate was thinking relay legumes after a 60 inch seeded uh, or interseeded relay rye and being so rye into the corn, 45 inches of rye with 45 inch bees, then seed clover. Yeah, that's the same thing I was just talking about. Yeah, I think that works. I think that works beautifully. And it speeds up your process 45 to 60 days. So yes, at great, great, great thinking. Uh, Jay, Jay has a question here. Can you harvest buckwheat with a platform head? Jay, I sure hope so because we've got 90 acres planted that is ready to probably harvest next week and my intention is to cut it with a, a, a McDon Draper head. So yes, I, I don't know yet if we're gonna lock the head and skim like six inches off the ground or if we're gonna go all the way down to the ground and cut them like soybeans, I don't know. We are growing these for green cover. Uh, Keith Burns at green cover. I'm gonna give Keith a call maybe tomorrow and ask him what he uh, would recommend we do or or what history would say is the best way to because I've never done this before but I'm telling you what if again everything we do has unintended consequences so you take off your cereal grain and you plant buckwheat this is a beautiful crop folks and the things it can do, and it smothers. There's not a weed out there. There's maybe two giant ragweed escaped through the canopies, all I've seen. So, but here's the deal. I just said we're gonna be harvesting next week. So the unintended consequences here, I don't have much of an opportunity to get anything out there other than rye. But we added, six pounds of clover and six pounds of vetch to the buckwheat when we plant it. So we hope that we have clover and vetch going to take off as soon as we can get the daylight down there to them and by taking the buckwheat off. So let's hope this works. If not, I'm gonna plant peas in that field uh, sometime before Thanksgiving and we're gonna do what Mitchell just said, and we're gonna frost seed, clover, and vetch in March. Okay, that's the plan. Okay, Kyle, 
let's see here. Let me make sure there's not another. Uh, yeah, Kyle, I'm I'm late to the party tonight. That's okay. Glad to have you. I just loaded the broadcaster on the four wheeler to spread some cereal rye. This will be the first time anything besides corn or soybeans will be planted on our family's farm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Kyle, where are you located? And I'm assuming since you're spreading with a four-wheeler, you have harvested the cash crop and you're going out and doing this on top. Uh, Ludmila is telling me that flax and buckwheat is a very Ukrainian combination. Smiley face. Beautiful. Um, okay, let's see. Uh, okay. Nate, I'm in New York. I tried organic no-till corn this year and a heavy stand of vetch, peas, and crimson clover that was crimped down after planting. June and July were dry. The corn only grew two to four feet tall, was light-colored, and never put on ears. This is what happens. I tilled a half-acre corner of the field that had some ruts to fix. Then tilled section grew much taller and greener. I did sap analysis in the foliar fed to try to get it to take off. Late summer, the weeds came. We got more rain and there was no canopy for the corn. Why was the corn so much slower to grow in the no-till? It, it, it is, when, when, we, when we till this green manure, and that's what you did, you green manured this. So think about what's happening here, Nate. You absolutely gave the microbes an absolute feast, a Thanksgiving feast. And they quickly turned that manure, that green manure that you turned down, they quickly turned that into a usable nitrogen form that that corn plant wants and needs. And when we are in no-till, all of these processes are much, much slower. And when we mechanically terminate these legumes, it is much, much slower for the release. That's why this is so difficult. But <clears throat> I don't want to do tillage because I think tillage is, is harmful in many ways. So what we're gonna try to do next year, Nate, is you just heard me say we're gonna plant peas this fall, we're gonna frost seed some clover, maybe I don't have to in these buckwheat fields, but we're gonna come in next spring with a vertical tillage tool, and we're gonna set it to where it is just resting on the ground. And then we're gonna drive over this 13,000 pounds of biomass, and we're gonna knock it down, and we're gonna slice it into six inch pieces. We're not gonna move any dirt. We're gonna wait two days and then plant corn. And I think, by doing this, we're going to get those, those legumes are going to be brown and we've got them down for the microbes to start working on them quicker than if we mechanically terminate. I'm not saying this is how we're going to do this every time. We've, we're going to test this on a few acres. We've got to figure out how to speed up the degradation and the release of the legume biomass because it takes too long mechanically and Nate, 
I've seen it in our fields too many times what you just described. And, and what happened there is the rains didn't come to save you. And that's what happens. So we have to be careful. I, I try to stress this all the time. You cannot do this on large acres. You have to try this on small stuff. And Nate, I hate to say this, but for right now, you're probably gonna find that you're gonna have greater success in some type of a green manure environment, getting corn to take off and stay green. Now, I'm not saying this is the right thing to do. And I'm not saying that you're not destroying biology because you are. But the biology will heal, it will come back, and the only saving grace here is, is you are turning down a green, high fuel feed source for those microbes that you just disrupted. So it's probably gonna heal pretty quick. But we have to worry about erosion and we have to worry about germinating seeds, weed seeds in the seed bank, okay? So it does happen. Bryce, or I'm sorry, Nate, we lost 300 acres this year to that same thing. And it was in no-till alfalfa, and we hit um, seven weeks of no rain, 92 degrees, corn didn't have a chance. But I always try to have an exit, an exit plan. The exit plan was we went back to alfalfa. So I call up the dairy, the corn is about two feet tall, the alfalfa is just a little bit overdone, and they said, sure, we'll take it. So they took that first cutting off and it had more protein in it than the straight alfalfa had. And then we proceeded to take two more cuttings of alfalfa off that field. Is that what I wanted to do? No, but it's better than a zero. So we're gonna do a little better than break even. We're gonna pay all the bills on those acres. We're gonna pay the cash rent. We're gonna pay the input cost. All these things are gonna be covered and we're still gonna have a little bit left over at the end of the day. Is that what I wanna do? No, but now add it to the rest of your acres and you're gonna be okay. All right, Bryce, man, I wish we had the moisture environment to relay crop. You guys are way ahead with that option. I like that, Bryce. I, I like this notion of relay corn, or I mean, relay soybeans. And then we're gonna go with the relay times two and get your, your legume package out there. I don't know why that wouldn't work. You just gotta offset your, your drill so that your tires on your tractor are driving down where you just harvested the rye and, and you're drilling your clover and your vetch and whatever else you wanna put out there in that, that 10 or 15 inch gap. I, I think it'd be a great thing. Okay, yeah, Bryce has got a good, this is what I was talking about earlier. Uh, you've gotta hang in there. When I, I mean, Bryce is one of these guys I, I talked to out west. I mean, folks, these guys, they're burning up. And, and Bryce is making a, a joke here about, about Nate up here talking about being in New York and he didn't have any, 
any corn or I didn't have any corn. And he's like, earless corn must be some of the Kansas earless corn genetics we've got here. So he's still got a sense of humor about, I mean, I know sense of humor doesn't pay the bills, but you've got to stay focused and keep your head in the game so that you can do all this again next year. Because next year will be different. It, it will be. There's always a problem somewhere in 10 to 15% of the United States every single year. It just rotates around the country. Hopefully the, the plains can get some fall rain or some winter moisture. I mean, snow would be great and just get snow cover because that moisture is very slow and it goes in and you get all of it. So hopefully they can get some snow cover this year. Okay, um, Paul Thomas, how you doing, Paul? No-till planted rye, barley, turnips, buckwheat, and rape into highly grazed summer annuals last week. East Central Missouri, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, what do you, what do you want to do there, Paul? Give me, tell me here what your plan is with this uh, rye, barley, turnips, buckwheat, and rape. I'm going to assume. Uh, buckwheat and rape you're are you are you going to plant uh, corn next spring let me know here paul sarah uh, we apply a biostimulant called active fert soil life that aids the biology increasing rate of residue breakdown sure the john kemp would have a similar product a tweet on an em product yeah a tweak on an e oh, you're going to plant milo there you go yeah i love it um, and Milo comes off fairly early, I think. Is that correct? And you are going to have a chance uh, to do something behind that Milo if you wanted to. Yeah, Sarah, I love, I love the biostimulant uh, notion. That is where uh, I am going to try and spend a lot of my time in the future. I believe that if you follow the, the principles of soil health and you are on a declining input use, so you're reducing inputs, and let's say you never take them all away, that's fine, but let's say you at least get to all no-till and all cover crop, and, and let's say you're going to put on 50% of your normal inputs meaning 50% fertilizer and 50% chemistry. Fine. It's fine. We learned last week with Nicole Masters that anytime you spray a chemistry, you need to be adding humates to it. So please do that. Add humates to any of your chemistry passes. But I am a firm believer that if you do what I just described, you are going to grow biology. It's going to come. The question is, with what we have at hand, can we turn it all on? I'm going to say no. So that's why I like the biostimulant idea or hormones or, or however you want to say this, uh, flavonoids, whatever. That is needs to go out onto your profile to wake up and energize those sectors that we can't get woken up with cereal rye 
or legumes or, or brassicas or broadleaves. They're there. There are nitrogen fixing bacteria. We just need to turn them on. So Sarah, yes, I love it. Biostimulants, I think is the future, but we have to be following the principles of soil health to get the biology going the best that we can with our ability. This goes back to, you've heard, you know, anybody who follows me, I, I, I say this a lot, I'm very stubborn. I am a very stubborn person, ask my wife. But the stubbornness has delayed our getting to where I want to, because if you are in a full tillage environment and a full chemistry environment, and you are fed up with these high inputs and you are deciding it's time to get on the regenerative wagon, then please go out and find a microbial package that will give you the help you need to speed the process up. I did not do this. We've got the biology now, but it took years to get here. Biostimulants or seawater, uh, seaweed, uh, molasses, humates, fulvic acids, all of these things we need to get incorporated in. And yes, the Johnson Sioux bioreactors from Paul. Yes, Paul, thank you. We're going to be extracting. And what I love, I mean, I love John Kemp's stuff, and, and we've used some this year, and we're probably going to use more. But what I love about in concert here, because there's not just one answer. So use this stuff in concert with other things. Seawater is not inherent with where Rick farms. But it's okay to bring that in. But a Johnson Sioux reactor that's built with the leaves and the sawdust and the manure and the alfalfa that's on Rick's farm is inherent within his system. I think that becomes a beautiful combination to incorporate some of John's stuff or any, I'm not just promoting John's stuff. There's other companies out there, but do your homework. Make sure you get high quality products and then incorporate the bioreactors from your region, products from your region. And, and by the way, guys, sorry about that, I need a drink. We just went through our organic certification process again. It's kind of an audit. And we explained what we were doing with the, with the Johnson Sioux reactor and the auditor said, beautiful, as long as you can tell me where the products came from and that you did not add anything to the process that would kick you out, they will approve our end product to apply on our own organic fields. We used alfalfa that was grown on our farm we used sawdust and leaves that fell from trees on our farm, our organic farm. And we used uh, manure from sheep, horses, and cattle 
that were raised on our organic acres. So we will be just fine to use the microbes that we extract out of that compost, right? like a compost tea. Claudia, Claudia is another, here's another company right here. You can check out our microbial products that are patented, sysbaysoil.com. Uh, I've chatted with Claudia and three or four other folks from her company. I think they've got good products. It's not just John Kemp. It's not just Pacific Grow. It, there's a lot of players out there. So do your homework. I like what Sysbay has to offer. We probably need to start talking again because if you recall uh, the last time we talked to them, uh, they thought it was too late in the game for me to try their product, which is, I was, I was, it's honorable to, to not try to sell you something. So they said, nope, you know what, Rick, it's too late. We're going to wait. Let's get an idea for next spring. So uh, one of these days, uh, Claudia's got my number. She'll give me a call and we'll talk about it again. Um, that's about all I've got. Um, fall covers, again, diversity, diversity, diversity. But we got to remember, I don't know where you live. So context, you need 30 to 45 days before the first killing frost to plant a lot of these diversity type species like sorghum sudan, cowpeas, sunflower, sun hemp, uh, radish, uh, turnip. All of these things are great for diversity. But if you're 20 days away from the historic first frost, don't spend the money. Now you focus on what can I do? Cereal rye is a, or wheat. And I am gonna plant more wheat because again, I never remember what I, what I say or when I say it, but we are in the second year of, of Mitchell's idea of relay, but it's not Lauren Steinlogge's way where you, Two, you plant two, skip two, plant two, skip two. It's not that. It's total plant and then total plant. But we planted beans into wheat. Now, the first thought is we're going to harvest that wheat next July and we're going to have beans coming right behind it because the wheat's only going to get about two and a half, three feet tall. Well, great idea until the beans decide to grow and the beans actually outgrew the wheat and we couldn't harvest the wheat because the beans were above the wheat. That's a good problem to have. Those were the best beans we had in 21. We did the same thing in the fall of 21. We planted, um, what did we plant? Uh, 360 acres of wheat that we then drilled on seven and a half inch spacing soybeans this spring and did nothing. No roller, no combine, no nothing. It looks like those are gonna be the best beans again. I don't know why, I don't know. I need Nicole to tell me why. But maybe, just maybe, 
we've used Fox or Sir uh, uh, Rye a little too much. But Sir Rye is usually the last resort when it gets cold. So anyway, that, that's where we're at. Um, what else did you learn from Dave Brandt over the two days you spent with him? Oh, oh my, Lumila. It was Dave. Dave is an incredible uh, individual. You learn patience. You learn how to work with Mother Nature, not against Mother Nature. Um, Dave is Dave is, is no-till, but he still uses a little bit of chemistry and a little bit of fertility. But the longer Dave hangs around with me, the more likely Dave's going to be to do away with all inputs. Because I don't know how many times we talked about doing away with the inputs. Because it, there's so many ramifications today of inputs. There's supply chain issues. There's price availability i mean price may not be the factor here uh, and hydrous may it may go to five thousand dollars a ton but if you can't get it you can't get it so once you get away from the inputs you you your mind is thinking on other things how do we deal with foxtail how do we get more diversity out there how do we relay soybeans and other crops i love the relay notion i really do um i i i'm i'm i say i'm going to try it lauren's way and i've got to just do it i may blank off a couple of rows and maybe do uh 40 acres or something and try it lauren's way but my problem is i don't have an offset hitch to come in and plant the beans in the spring and drive down the, the gap and not drive on the rye, in other words. That's my problem. I don't have that, that piece of equipment yet. So maybe I think I could get Lauren to drive his planter and drill from uh, West Union, Iowa to Indiana and do that for me. I don't know, I'll have to ask him sometime. But, but Ludmila, I mean, guys, there was so many things Dave and I talked about um it it was and, and i'll tell you what the 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 other thing that we both agreed on was we were very very relaxed at the end of the two days i think we both were just a little tense when we started our journey but then as we we drove um i mean dave's gonna drive five hours or uh four hours to get to me and then we drove five hours into Iowa. Uh, so uh, Dave drove nine hours and, and then we had downtime and we talked, but um, we were very, very calm and relaxed. And we both agreed that if we got nothing out of this, uh, we relaxed a little bit and it was good for both of us. And I'm gonna tell you the other thing we talked about, and, and this was my idea, and I really got Dave thinking about this. Because uh, see, Dave's got Walnut, Walnut Creek seeds. So Dave is cleaning seed all the time. And I think 
that either A, you get this light technology out of Ohio, I think his name's John Thompson. We can get him moving forward. He's got, he has figured out which colors of light to take out of the spectrum of light and, and puts it in a, a, a light bulb. And if you shine this proper light on the weed seed, you sterilize it. You kill the weed seed. There's no more, it doesn't matter if it goes on the ground or not, then nothing's gonna grow because it's sterilized. Huge idea. Okay, take all of that nutrient-dense weed seed, soybean splits, all of this stuff that Dave gets out of his cleaning process and sterilize them so they won't grow and grind them up into like a soybean meal and band this over your corn row because the higher the protein level, the higher the available nitrogen there is. So if you could put down 12, or let's say you could put down 16% uh, protein in a band over your corn row, this is your starter fertilizer for planting your corn into a legume or an alfalfa. Now that I think will work. And even if you don't have the light and Dave's got that mill and you grind those seeds into a powder, how can they, how can they live and, and germinate? So then you take, it's just like, then you get your old insecticide boxes back out and you put them on your planter again and you fill them full of soybean meal and you put on five, six, seven pounds T-banded on the row to the acre. That, that will work. I'm telling you, that will work. So Ludmila, those are the kind of things we talked about, um, how to do things differently. Uh, Bryce is asking if I've ever thought about a stripper header for the relay wheat. Yeah, uh, I would like to see you try relay barley. Yeah, that's a good idea. Might help with the foxtail issue. You know what, Bryce, I may do that. I've got a semi load of barley coming next week. I was going to mix it in with the rye. I may do, say, 40 acres of just straight barley. I don't want to burn up all my barley on just on a, on a small acreage here right now. I may do maybe 20 acres and we'll, we'll plant beans into that just like we would the rye and we'll relay that off. I'll try that. And, and uh, I have thought about a stripper header. Uh, Mitchell, what about you? Do you, have you thought about a, a stripper header to take the, that rye off above the, above the, or the, or the wheat for the wheat. So I think what you're getting at there, Bryce, is if we use the stripper header, we could be down, we could be down in with where the beans are growing and not hurt the beans. Is that what you're saying? And and the way the stripper header works, it'll pull the uh, the heads off of that that wheat and not hurt the beans. Is that what you're saying? Yes, great idea. See, that's why, folks. This is why I do this. This is why we do this this podcast because of the ideas that come out of this. I love these Q&A. I, I love our guests. 
but I also love this Q&A. Um, and Paul's saying, get a winter hardy barley variety. Yes, that's what I've got coming. Um, if in rows though, not for my solid seeded. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Bryce is saying it might strip a few leaves off. I just wonder, I, man, I'll tell you what, I don't, I don't see the problem here, Bryce, is nobody's got a stripper header that I could try this on that's, that's within 600 miles of me. Um, that's a very good idea. I like the idea. Let me think about that. Let me think about that. All right. Well, hey, guys and gals, I, I got to go. And, and thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I want to uh, I want to thank everybody and uh, let me get back here to uh, one of the first uh, the first responses we had uh, Darling Downs Old Australia thank you so much for tuning in uh, it's quite an honor uh, to have you have folks from that far away listening uh, and this is what I love about the regenerative movement we are all willing to share our ideas and what's working and not and and what's not working um so very good i don't know who our guest will be next week i don't know yet um i've got some holes here i got to get filled in uh if you folks have any ideas for who we should have uh please let me know thank you for the for the feedback ludmila bryce sarah thank you so much uh I hope this helps. Uh, you know how to get a hold of me. You can go to our website, uh, farmgreen.land. Um, my, uh, my email is rick at farmgreen.land. Rachel's email is rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L, at farmgreen.land. Uh, Dr. Toby Kears. Okay, let me write that down. Dr. Toby Kiers, K-I-E-R-S. Very good. Thank you, Lou Myla. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, we've had Dave on a couple of times. I need to get Dave on again. Dave's always so good. And hey, Mitchell, I hope you're still on. Uh, Mitchell took over for me when I was in D.C. because I didn't have time to do it. I was absolutely just wore out from the whole day. Mitchell did an awesome job. And he's got us all up to date on, on what he's doing. And folks, I'm telling you what, if you don't know who Mitchell Horry is, you need to get to know Mitchell and what he's doing. He is going to revolutionize the carbon. I don't even want to call it carbon markets. We've got to come up with a different name. I don't like that name. But Mitchell is going to um, revolutionize that industry. And, and Mitchell has a software platform that everyone should be using. It's a great way to baseline your, your farming company. I mean, it's a company, it's a business. Baseline where you are today so that when you start doing these regenerative practices, are they really helping me? I mean, I know I hear everybody say it, it works here and it works there, but is it working on my farm? So Mitchell, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Um, everybody, God bless. Have a great rest of your week. Um, thank you, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.